Specialty Story, session number 164. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm excited to bring you another amazing guest. We have Dr. Malika Syker here, who is a radiation oncologist, and she's going to talk about her journey to radiation oncology, what she loves about it, what she doesn't like about it, and so much more. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Syker first became interested in radiation oncology. I became interested in oncology in general during my second year of medical school. My dad was diagnosed with a blood cancer. And at that time, I knew just enough to be dangerous uh, so I could really understand kind of the pathophysiology and the basic treatments of disease. But I didn't really understand the big picture And he had a number of really incredible oncologists that were part of his clinical care. So that's what inspired me to go into oncology. And then as I went through third year, uh, I knew that I wanted to be an oncologist, but I didn't know what type of oncologist. And so it was a really fun way to go through third year focusing on on oncology because oncology touches every single specialty. Yeah. So I was able to focus on the oncologic angle of every single specialty in medicine. And I found that I I liked a little bit of everything. And it was really a peer mentor who put me in the direction of radiation oncology. Her uncle was a a medical physicist, and she decided that she wanted to be a radiation oncologist. And she thought that it would be a good fit for me. So had it not been for my peer mentor, I don't think I would have even known radiation oncology even existed. Yeah, I think a lot of students listening to this may have potentially heard of radiation oncologists, but but I think even like me, when I first learned about it, I'm like, well, that's like a, a physicist. That's not a real doctor, right? That's some math nerd doing things. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, they're physicians actually doing this kind of thing. When you first realized what the specialty was, what what was it that drew you to it to explore it more? Well, at the, at the start, I kind of had the same reaction of you, except for me, it was safety concerns. Like, mm. you know, is mm. it even going to be safe for me to be around, you know, radiation for cancer patients? And so, um, you know, learning about, you know, that it was just as safe as any other field and that we're really not directly exposed to ionizing radiation was something that was really uh, reassuring. But for but for me, radiation oncology seemed like the perfect fit. Like I said, I liked like almost every aspect of, you know, all the other fields. And it seemed like the perfect combination of all the other fields where you approach cancer kind of like a surgeon would thinking about things anatomically. Um, But then you still have those um, longitudinal relationships and spend a lot of time with patients like a medical oncologist would. So there was sort of little bits of elements of each. And then plus, you know, the treatment planning, the contouring, I mean, some, sometimes I spend the day coloring, um, and, you know, that <laughs> kind of treatment planning. So there was sort of this creative aspect to it as well. Yeah. So, um, it was sort of like where, um, the art of medicine meets the science of medicine. Yeah. That's interesting for the, the student who is still undecided in terms of medical, more diagnostic versus surgical, where does radiation oncology fit in that, in that scheme of things? 
I think radiation is right in the middle. I mean, as a radiation oncologist, we use radiation therapy to cure cancer. And, you know, what's, I mean, what's more glorious than that is, you know, being able to cure somebody's cancer. But oftentimes in in our work, we end up diagnosing things, um, you know, on our treatment planning scans or or during our workups. So we wear a lot of different hats. Yeah. What are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around radiation oncology? Well, I think you hit one of them um, and the fact that it was just kind of physicists or, you know, oh, I, you know, I've got to be good at physics or I, you know, I have to be really good at math. You know, I think most of like all of us that got into medical school, we all had sort of a basic knowledge of physics and math and science as a prerequisite. And that's more than enough to get you through your um you know, the physics that you need to learn for, um, you know, for boards, for specialty boards and everything. So I think that's one of the misnomers. Um, I think that also the safety concerns, people uh, being concerned about being exposed to radiation uh, therapy, um, you know, that's another kind of myth that's not true. Um, And then finally, it's, you know, our field doesn't attract a lot of individuals, um, you know, women, or individuals who are underrepresented in medicine and science, um, despite the fact, despite the fact that a lot of other fields have have gained a lot of women and individuals from that are underrepresented in medicine. And so, um, I think that you know people don't realize that this is it's a fantastic field that's very welcoming, um, where anybody can belong and thrive. Yeah, it's interesting the radiation aspect. I'm I'm almost positive, but orthopedic surgeons who are using mini C arms all day long are probably exposed to a lot more radiation than you probably are. So yeah, definitely. That's interesting. What are some uh, personal traits or qualities that you think lead to someone being a good radiation oncologist? I think that most of us in the field have had a calling, a draw to to care for cancer patients. So I think that. The number one quality would be to just have a firm commitment, dedication to to caring for cancer patients in a holistic way. So, um, you know, practicing empathy, taking care of the patient in, in all the ways, I think is, is the most important part because, you know, cancer patients, it's a different, um, you know, it's a different, it's a different field than um, orthopedic surgery. Uh, you're dealing with patients who sometimes have uh, life-threatening or potentially life-ending um, diagnoses. And so uh, one has to be completely committed to being there for the patient, um, you know, physically and emotionally. Yeah. For the the, the student listening to this who, who's being exposed to radiation on oncology for the first time today, uh, obviously... I think everyone understands what cancer is, but are there specific cancers that radiation oncology encompasses or any cancer can be treated and and you see any cancer that that comes your way? Yeah, really any, we see any and all types of cancers, um, whether it's, uh, whether it's curative or palliative, uh, we see almost every single uh, type of cancer, uh, Sometimes we're able to cure cancers on our own, you know, with radiation therapy alone. Um, most oftentimes it's in combination with surgery or with chemotherapy or systemic agents. So, uh, you know, we work in a very dynamic, highly collaborative, multidisciplinary uh, team to provide, you know, patient-centered, compassionate care. What does a typical day look like for you? 
typical day um, usually starts around 7, 7.30. Um, many days will be a tumor board. Tumor boards are where multidisciplinary groups of physicians get together to talk about cancer patients. So there might be a breast tumor board where there's a breast surgeon, a radiation oncologist, a medical oncologist, radiologist, and pathologist, and we'll go through and talk about any newer challenging patients. So after the tumor board, um, it's typically outpatient clinic. So typically we'll see three different types of patients. One, new patients who are being considered for radiation therapy. Two, follow-up patients, patients who are treated with radiation therapy where we're looking at potentially long-term side effects or complications or whether or not the cancer is um, returned. And the third type of patient that we see are patients that are currently under treatment. So we'll see those three types of patients throughout the day. Um, and when there are uh, breaks, we will um, do treatment planning. What does call look like for you? I'm assuming that there's not emergent things that you would have to go into the hospital for as a radiation oncologist. What does, what does that look like for you? So typically we take a one week at home uh, pager call. And so when I'm on call, I'm holding the pager for about a week at the at a time and um, together with the resident answer any types of patient phone calls that come up. It's pretty rare that we have to go in um, to treat a patient. Sometimes we'll have to go in to talk to a patient uh, after hours um, or over the weekend. It's pretty rare that we get called in and actually have to start a, a treatment on the fly um, at night or on the weekend um, without a, our support team around. Um, radiation emergencies would typically be a spinal cord compression in a patient who's lost the ability um, to walk um, or feel their legs. Um, you know, sometimes difficulties breathing, coughing up blood, uh, brain metastases or a brain tumor sometimes. So um, we, we evaluate each patient on call to see if there's a reason for emergent treatment. But that's pretty rare. I'd say maybe once or twice every couple of years I'll have to go in. Now, you mentioned residents. You work in an academic center. What was the, that decision process for you, or is radiation oncology pretty strict to academic centers? No, I'd say radiation oncology, it's pretty 50-50 private practice um, and academic centers, and half of the residents at my program go into private practice, the other half go into academics. Um, there are certain institutions where they might have more private practice or more um, academicians, but at my center, it was pretty 50-50. For me, the decision to go into um, academics was I was really interested in health disparity uh, research, um, teaching, and so academics seemed to me like a natural place, but I did uh, look at some private practice institutions. I think also, too, for the students that are listening, you know, the these labels, academic and private practice, I know some private practices that are just as academic as any academic medical center and vice versa, some academic uh, medical centers where, you know, are pretty much run like a private practice. So, um, you know, we don't have to get so hung up on some of these old school definitions because there's ways to be academic if you're in private practice and vice versa. Yeah. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? I think so. Um, I recently took on a new administrative role on the Associate Dean for Student Inclusion and Diversity. And so um, my admin work now takes up 50% of my time and my clinical work is the other 50. And certainly um, 
I'm working from home 50% of the time because of um, COVID-19. So it can get kind of complicated where the, the you know, where, when does the work day start and stop? And um, I think one has to set pretty clear boundaries on about, you know, when, when to make that transition. Yeah. What does the, the training path look like to become a radiation oncologist? So the training path to become a radiation oncologist, it's one plus four. So you, um, one would do an, an intern year. Majority of individuals do internal medicine or transitional year. A few people will do a, a prelim surgery year. And then it's four years of radiation oncology. And uh, for me, what appealed to me about the training path, it was really kind of the straightest shot right into oncology after graduating from medical school. Whereas if you want to be a surgical oncologist or a medical oncologist, typically you would complete a general uh, internal medicine residency first or a general surgery residency first. Interesting. How competitive is it? So radiation oncology used to be extremely competitive, as competitive as, you know, like plastic surgery and neurosurgery. The tide has changed um, in the past couple of years. And over the past few years, we've had approximately 30 unmatched slots in the residency match cycle, which was like unheard of. Uh, prior to this, where there would be, you know, zero to two spot unmatched spots per year. So um, I would say historically, radiation oncology um, had been competitive, but lately, maybe not as competitive. Um, there were concerns in last year's match that um, the number of U.S. seniors um, in medical schools in the U.S. Um, were actually less than number of positions available. Wow, interesting. For the osteopathic student listening to this who's interested in radiation oncology, what do they need to be doing to overcome any sort of negative bias? Well, there's a lot of uh, prominent um, osteopathic uh, radiation oncologists in the field. Uh, Dr. Paul Wallner is one of them, uh, and there are many other ones. Uh, I think that radiation oncology, so, you know, whether or not it's competitive now, you know, maybe not as much. then it was super competitive, but prior to that, it wasn't competitive. And so, so we're a small field where relationships matter. So I would say doing away rotations, um, you know, cultivating relationships with radiation oncologists that can vouch for you are things that can, um, that can really help. Now, I usually ask this later, but I'll I'll ask it now because you talked about the 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 trend to potentially less less people applying to radiation oncology do you think there's a potential shift because of these more targeted therapies that are coming these immune therapies coming for cancer do you think there's a potential decrease in the need for radiation oncology in the future I'm not so sure about that because uh you know as systemic therapies become better local control becomes more important and so one would argue that there could potentially be an even more expanded role if these systemic agents um, are successful as we hope. I think one of the main reasons that individuals aren't as attracted to radiation oncology is the um, field is very small. And if someone has their heart set on moving to New York City and being the head and neck specialist at a certain institution, uh, you know, that opportunity might not become available. So it's a small field. Um, and so the, I think there's a, a word for it, geographic determinability um, is somewhat limited. 
I also think that um, one of the trends in radiation oncology, which is a good trend, has been in hypofractionation, meaning um, a prostate cancer treatment that used to take nine weeks now takes, you know, seven weeks. And so our treatments are becoming shorter. And so that so our workforce maybe needs to be smaller. Mm-hmm. So that coupled with um, a new payment model, the radiation oncology alternative payment model coming down from, you know, Medicare. I think these are, I think the uncertainty surrounding all of this is one of the reasons why students are not as interested in radiation oncology currently. And I think it's important for those of us that are in the field to have honest discussions about what that looks like uh, for students who may be interested in our field. And I think going back to what you said a couple times now with how small the field is, I've heard time and time again on this podcast talking to physicians where physicians choose their specialty based on mentorship and being exposed to the field. And if it's a small field, then a lot of students aren't being exposed to it. And so that's the goal of this podcast is to expose more people. So hopefully they'll go seek out a mentor. Yeah, that's really key. And like I said, radiation oncology uh, you know, our representation for women and individuals that, fr- that from backgrounds that are underrepresented in medicine um, is lacking compared to other fields. And you're absolutely right. Mentorship is key. So I'd encourage anybody, especially individuals who are from schools that don't have radiation oncology departments to figure out ways to, to get exposure and get a mentor and to learn more about it. For the future primary care physician listening to this, what do you want them to know about radiation oncology to help their future patients? Yeah, um, you know, we work very closely with primary care doctors at all ends of the spectrum, from diagnosis to care during treatment to care after treatment. And um, I think that from a screening point of view, Um, a diagnosis point of view, we work closely with primary care doctors to ensure that patients are getting, you know, adequate uh, treatment and being sure that they're being referred adequately once they're diagnosed. During treatment, sometimes we have patients that develop complications or sometimes there are things that pop up that people think are a quote unquote radiation side effect that, you know, isn't a radiation side effect. You know, if somebody's getting radiation to their prostate and then develops a rash on their face, it's not from radiation therapy. So uh, we work closely with primary care doctors to sort of elucidate what's a true radiation side effect, what's not, and how to best care for patients. And then on the flip side, you know, when we're talking about surveillance, making sure that patients are getting the adequate surveillance, and also as things come up, um, you know, radiation complications, long-term complications can happen. And so working with primary care providers to determine what truly is a radiation oncology uh, related uh, long-term toxicity versus something that, you know, just happened unrelated to radiation therapy. So uh, we keep in touch with the primary care providers uh, very frequently. What other specialists do you work the closest with? So within oncology, I'd say our closest collaborators are surgeons and medical oncologists, but also radiologists and pathologists. Uh, In addition to, you know, our nurses, our radiation therapists, physicists, dosimetrists, it's um, a huge multidisciplinary team. Now, for someone who wants to work with their hands and they, they love that aspect of doing procedures, how much of that is there in radiation oncology? Well, it depends on what 
your specialty is. So there's a specialty within radiation therapy called brachytherapy. And that's where we place radioactive sources directly in a patient's body. And there's opportunities for brachytherapy in prostate cancer. Um, there's opportunities for brachytherapy, um, particularly with GYN cancer, or gynecologic cancers. Brachytherapy plays an extremely critical component of curative care for cervic- cervical cancer. So if somebody is interested in working with their hands, there's definitely an opportunity um, with brachytherapy. Interesting. What's, what's brachy? What's that? that root word there it's greek uh for near or or close oh yeah yeah okay cool um what do you know now that you wish you knew before going into radiation oncology you know this is a really great question and it's something that i see with my students and even with our residents you know when you think about medical school what we be what we're assessed on every step of the way is competence so um you know from our usmle exams to our board exams. We're constantly being grilled on our competence. But when you ask our patients, I mean, I think that they all assume that we're competent or display that we're competent. But I think what's really important to our patients is to make sure that we see them and that we're doing everything we can to take care of all of them. And so I take time in all of my patient encounters to really try to get to know the patient, what's important to the patient, what scares them, what brings meaning to their life. And I think that what our patients want most of all is that connection with us, um, knowing that we're doing everything we can to provide them with the best care. What do you like the most about being a radiation oncologist? Well, I like everything about being a radiation oncologist, (laughs) really. Um, Even the charting? Even the charting. (laughs) But I do like the, I do... I, I love blending the art and the science and having the opportunity to be creative and teach a little bit on the side. Um, it's really a, it's really a fulfilling career. I mean, like I said before, you know, curing somebody's cancer, that's, that's, that's a pretty awesome way to make a difference in somebody's life. But sometimes we don't have the opportunity. Um, you know, many of the patients that we see have incurable cancers. So even to just make somebody's life more comfortable uh, in their final days, weeks, months, or years is something that's extremely important. So I think the best part of my job is bringing value um, to our patient's life, whether that's in the form of a cure or even just quality of life. What do you like the least? Uh, what do I like the least about being a radiation oncologist? Um, you know, there's a lot of administrative and bureaucratic tasks that we're asked to do. I mean, really, regardless of any specialty, you know, additional epic trainings or additional (laughs) things that we need to put in our notes for billing concerns. So I dislike anything that takes away from that sacred patient-physician interaction and bond. Yeah. And there are plenty of things things nowadays that are threatening to get in the way. And it's incumbent us as physicians to, to fight for that to fight for control of our exam rooms and our clinical rooms. Yeah. And, and when you say epic trainings for, for the, the uninitiated, that is not an adjective for the trainings. Epic is the electronic medical record that destroys physicians. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, gotta love epic. Um, are there any major changes coming to the field that you think are important for someone to be aware of? 
Well, I think that hypofractionation is here to stay, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing if we can cure patients in a shorter amount of time uh, without any decrement, or, or perhaps even better, an improvement of quality of life. That's that you know improvement in therapeutic ratios. So, um, so I do think that hypofractionation is coming. There may be a day that we'll be able to cure some of these cancers that took nine weeks before, you know, to a week or less. So hopefully that's coming. Um, we talked about one briefly before, and that's the combination with systemic therapies. So as these systemic therapies become more and more successful, local control becomes more and more important. So there might be a way for us to have more of a more of a role in metastatic disease. You know, metastatic mean cancers that have spread to other places, or what we call oligometastatic disease cancers that have spread to other places, but but like not that many, maybe like one or three. So. Um, so I think that there's a lot of potential changes coming um, there's new technologies like proton therapy, image guided or, you know, MRI guided radiation therapy. So um, using different types of radiation or combining radiation with um, different imaging modalities so we could become more precise and conformal in our treatments. So um, it's exciting. I think that the technology is going to continue to improve and um, we'll have more ways to cure patients or treat patients with fewer side effects. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a radiation oncologist? Absolutely. Um, I love being a radiation oncologist, although I wear a lot of hats uh, now being in administration. Um, I always introduce myself as a radiation oncologist first. I'm, I'm very proud uh, to be a cancer doctor. For the student who potentially is now interested in radiation oncology, any last words of wisdom for them to go out and, and get some more information and expose themselves to this field? We have a very small field, but a very passionate uh, and friendly field. So I would reach out to anybody that uh, you know that's a radiation oncologist or, or close uh, to a radiation oncologist. We love having students come and shadow and to share um, our hidden gem of a field. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to somebody, including myself. All right, so there you have it. Again, Dr. Malika Syker, radiation oncologist. If you're interested in looking into radiation oncology, go to what is probably the best name for a society for a medical specialty called ASTRO, the American Society for Radiation Oncology at astro.org. Org. Go check out more information. Go find a mentor. Go reach out, as Dr. Syker said. Go reach out to find a radiation oncologist who can help you on your journey to radiation oncology if that is what you are interested in. I hope this was helpful for you, and I hope you subscribe so you get more of these great free episodes for you every single week. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.